This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 400 for the week of March 27th, 2016. What is up? Welcome to episode 400 of Kanzenshu, the podcast. We are an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzenshu. Each and every week, except when we're not here for a particular week. That's okay, too. We, uh, I already, see, I talk out of turn and I don't remember what the line is. There's someone else on the line. Chris, help me. How does this intro go? Hi. Hello. (laughs) Oh, my God. I blinked and we're at episode 400. What even? (laughs) (laughs) Can't process this shit. I am Mike Vegito EX and joining me to start off the episode. I, uh, I needed someone who was not me, but I actually, ideally I wanted someone who was not one of the other four main dudes. Well, three other main dudes at Konzenshu to, uh, kind of kick off the episode. And before we get into our awesome topic this week, uh, talk a little bit about the show. And, um, he was available for starters. That was a good thing. Yes. After after keeping you waiting for like an hour, I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, he's also a longtime friend, longtime fan. You've heard him uh, quite a bit recently on the show, actually. Chris Skerberfer, how are you, dude? I'm doing good. Thank you for... I, I'm glad I happened to be available because I, uh, I was saying before we started recording, I, I was listening to the last couple episodes and I was saying, you know, you get a good uh, topic for Konzenshu when uh, I'm pausing and pretending I'm talking with you and, uh, and, and Ujio about the subject as if I'm part of it. Uh, but I'm, ha- I'm ha- very happy to be part of this one, and, and congrats on, Jesus Christ, 400 yeah, episodes. I, I wish it was a, a slightly larger number, because there's been the occasional week or two weeks, or actually two months at one point, I think it was, when we didn't have an episode. <laughs> but yeah, uh, over 10 years now of the podcast, 400 episodes, and I was just mentioning on Twitter how um, I, I think the real shock to my sense of self is going to be in a little under two years when the website as a whole, dating back all the way back, of course, uh, turns 20 years old. That's uh, a truly frightening. Oh my God. Thing to me, man. And, that, and that, that's counting like Vegito EX's homepage. That's going all the way back right? to okay. Vegito yeah, EX's yeah. ultimate DBZ links page. Uh, members.aol.com <laughs> slash Vegito EX back in the day. Oh yeah. boy, oh boy. So I already announced it last episode. This week on the show for episode 400, uh, it was something I was able to pull together in time for this episode. So that was really exciting to me. An interview with Greg Werner. So we're at episode 400. I was already just kind of talking about the olden days here. This is a dive back into the olden days of North American English-speaking Dragon Ball fandom. Greg ran what I consider the first of the second generation of English-language Dragon Ball fan sites, the Ultimate DBZ Info site. He started his site uh, before I did. He started in uh, mid-1997. I I really feel like he kicked off that second wave of those of us who came in with the original syndication broadcast of DBZ here in America. Um, so that's what you can look forward to this episode. It's a great talk. Before we get to that, though, Chris, I have you here for a little bit. I wanted to um, kind of pick your brain a little bit about the show. So this is self-admittedly self-congratulatory a little bit. <laughs> like totally I said, at the 10-year mark, uh, just a a few months ago. I think we're entitled that every once in a while. I don't like to dwell on it. And so this will be the last one probably for two years until the site turns 20. So, you know, kind of deal with it. If you're if you're not into us, you just want to hear the topic. I'm sorry. But Chris, as a longtime friend uh, and a longtime fan of the site and of the podcast, um, what has the podcast meant to you over these 400 episodes? Sure. Uh, I'm more than happy to provide the congratulations. So don't feel okay. that it's self-indulgent <laughs> at all. I, I'll, I'll actually go before 
uh, the podcast, uh, I still remember, actually, but I, I went when it was Daizenshu EX. I was not around for Vegito EX's homepage or, uh, you know, Ultimate DBZ fan site, et cetera. Um, but I remember still when I, I, I think I got to a point where I was visiting so, the site so often that um, the uh, I was remembering what the uh, URL to the website was back when I think it was being hosted on the Rutgers on my uh, site, server, yeah. right? And it was like it was it was like Rutgers.com something something yeah, slash yeah. Dizex, and that's how I remembered it. And I I wish I could remember exactly how I discovered it because I I don't want to say it was for sure when you guys did the Dragon Ball AF April Fools thing because uh, I, I feel like I had been to the site before that infamous year but uh, but I do remember going to it was one of the many websites that I went to all the time and uh, actually I'll even say because I, I can't remember if I've said this on the show before I might have so I apologize for repeating myself but for anybody who watches my uh, my web series Tome uh, the Net King characters who were like the guys that created the virtual uh, MMORPG world or whatever the, their characters are all in uh, were all inspired by uh specific websites that I used to go to. So like Kirby's Rainbow Resort and TV Tome and uh, uh, Game Trailer and stuff like that. And uh, my character, Zeto, who is like a walking, talking DBZ reference in a can, uh, was all kind of inspired by uh, your site and also uh, DBZ GT Legacy, uh, which I don't even think exists anymore. But that was, I believe, even one of the sites you guys might have been critical of, of like, hey, um, guys, just so you know, the Z Store updating is not a fucking Dragon Ball <laughs> piece of news. <laughs> but uh, but I, I used to go to this place all the time, and this this was um this was just kind of my go to place for uh, kind of learning more about. Uh, you know, the mysterious and mystical Japanese mm, yeah. version of the show that, you know, I was only just beginning to see stuff of at the time in like the early 2000s. And uh, I remember when the first episode of the, the podcast began, and it was so funny because I think like even though the, the, the joking thing is that like you're the higher pitched guy and that Julian is the sexy low voiced guy. I swear to God, I think in the first episode, Julian's voice is higher than yours and you're the low one by comparison. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm so used to hearing all of our voices. Um, and that's one real weird thing about the podcast to me is that I've been intimately editing my own voice for over 10 years now. So a lot of people get weirded out when they hear uh, a recording of their own voice. It does not phase me anymore. And it almost feels at the same time like a separate person, yet. I know it's me. I don't know how to describe it. You, you probably feel the same way because you do a lot of acting and editing with your own stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And actually, it's kind of funny because it is not too similar from voiceover, especially like in the anime world where a lot of engineers and directors uh, are also actors and they'll be in a lot of the same things that they work on. Uh, where they do have to listen to themselves. And yeah, after a while, you just kind of like you kind of zen it out and it's like, OK, yeah, this is just this is the work. It's not just like. I'm being self-conscious, but oh no, I hate the sound of my own voice yeah. or whatever. You just kind of... Uh, I had to get over that real fast. I, I will say too, I remember the the first like, I want to say like the first like six episodes of the show in particular, I would, those specific ones, I would go back and listen to all the time. And uh, specifically, I, I, I please remind me, I think it was her name, Maggie. I think she ran yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, uh, Lovely the, Cyborg. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, Lovely Cyborg, that's right. Yeah, she had this great episode, this awesome topic that you guys get together about uh, the, the real meaning of Gene Zoningen and like, you know, uh, Android and Cyborg and how those terms weigh in, et cetera, uh, which was great. And, uh, episode four with Scott Melzer, I, I literally can't even tell you how many times I listened to that one and like how it was kind of inspiring, like the stuff that you guys were talking about from like those kind of early days going to anime conventions and like 
working on like um uh what help me what was the anime parody you guys worked on uh, there's otaku doom then steam yeah otaku doom that's right yeah and then and this is otaku and then steam was later and that was i think right around the time that i was beginning to do uh to do flash animation even like i was still nobody in terms of like internet so the podcast kind of became almost a friend Aww. and then when i got to meet you guys at uh anime next 2006 and by that point the podcast but i think been going on for at least a couple of years we uh we we got to know each other and i was still that annoying loud obnoxious kid that was you know spouting dub loving and everything at the time but uh but yeah and then and then since then it's like look at how far that we've all come and how much stuff that we've done since that time and and even really just how much uh how much has happened with Dragon Ball, like really, because it's in, in all these years, it's it's kind of insane, just that in and of itself. Yeah, it's been a, a crazy journey because you think back. So we started the podcast um, at the very tail end of 2005. I think it was November 20th, something like that. Um, so, yeah, we thought the show was done for a while. I mean, we were in the midst of things like the Ultimate Uncut Edition from Funimation. And that meant, of course, we were on the cusp of those early double digit days of the podcast going into the Orange Bricks even we kind of thought that was gonna be it for a while we would be talking about miscellaneous international home releases and video games video games were huge for those couple years i mean there was a a period of of a year or two where you had things like budokai 3 and sparking meteor and super dbz i've always talked about that it's like the trifecta of the ps2 generation where no matter what type of fighting game fan you were you had something for you and we kind of thought that was gonna be the content for the next decade or so and here we are with a couple more movies various specials and features and we're into a new tv series we never saw that coming um and i was heath and i have talked about so much <laughs> lately we are so grateful that we decided to merge into consensu at the precise moment that we did because if we waited any longer th- the work would have just been overwhelming to us it, it's funny too because now that i'm also thinking about the first episode um where you had uh i think justin lost in thought was that him in the first one yeah you're yeah. talking about i think the first sparking it was game, sparking the first sparking game. game. Like, yeah what? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's and in that amount of time like un- like it's seriously unbelievable to me that like so much has happened like with all of us and this franchise i know i know i said that before but it really does bear repeating like it it's so weird to think that like and the show had been over for like a long time in both Japan and America by the time that you guys started the podcast. Like, right, right. And all of these developments have, have come up and it's like, and, and you still have like a million things to talk about. Like, like you could have done that episode about the, the term Majin like at any point in time. At any point, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I want to take this conversation right now is we locked into the format of the show pretty early on where we have our opening banter for a little bit. If we have a guest, we'll talk with them a little bit. Um, up next is always the news. What is the news for that week? And then we go into our in-depth topic, whether that's something about we did translation stuff from the very beginning. And I'm so glad we can continue with that now, whether it's uh, that kind of discussion, something uh, reviewing a product, uh, doing an in-universe thing, um, talking about music in the show. I mean, these are all themes that we've been able to approach and reapproach from so many different angles so many years in a row. And when I say it like that, it sounds like we're repeating content. And I think we did accidentally review the Trunks TV special twice. But, <laughs> however, hey, you know what? Listen, if you can forgive a long running anime for having a clip show once in a while, you can, right. you can forgive you guys reviewing the Trunks special twice. <laughs> I think there was a reason for it. Like Jeff and the manga review, and we went back to it. I'm sure there was a reason for it. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, we haven't really repeated content. And I think there were a lot of, I wouldn't call them accusations, but, um, 
comments early on, like, are you really going to be able to sustain this for as long as maybe you think you do? Because I've from the beginning, I've labeled the podcast episodes with four digits. And so we're at zero, four, zero, zero now. <laughs> the implication being that I anticipate getting into four digits at some point during my lifetime. We'll you'll you'll, you'll stop at episode 1000 or no, you'll stop at No, no, forgive me. You'll stop at episode 9999 and you'll you will until you can upgrade to like the super wallet and you can hold even more episodes. <laughs> Um, so going back to the format of the show after the topic, um, we've had a variety of things over the years. We've done releases, we've done feedback, uh, we've done contests, um, we've done who's that character. If someone can remember the last time we did who's that character, I'm happy to bring it back. I can't remember the last time we did it though to get the voice <laughs> sample for who it was. So if there are any super fans out there that can uh, track that down, I'm happy to continue it. So Chris, let me ask you the format of the show for me. I always wanted the show to be, I think I've described it this way, both timeless and timeless. Timely. The timely there would be um, the week's news, which I think is important to cover in a timely fashion. But I always think it's fun to go back and listen to it 10 years later and see what the excitement was. But the topics, like you said, the Majin conversation, that could have been 2005 or 2016. Yeah. And I think it's great to have a, a nice mix of both because it's kind of almost like, not that I want to see you guys are like free advertising for the, the show or whatever, but I think it's much like how a good franchise does market itself where it's like, hey, like we can talk about the nitty gritty, like really kind of geeky stuff when you, cause there's not, there's not very many in the entire world. There's not a whole lot, uh, in comparison, like big franchises you can sink your teeth into that deeply, like, you know, Star Wars or, uh, or like Lord of the Rings, uh, or like Pokemon, you know, stuff like that where there's just like so much content that you could be talking about stuff all the time, like, like practically every other week or so. Um, and the fact that like you guys, have found a good balance of like making, you know, enough to talk about out of, uh, the actual news that, that releases, you know, in a, in a pretty constant fashion, uh, along with the original stuff that you just are passionate about talking about, like, you know, terminology and in-universe stuff and production stuff. I mean, even like uh, the one you did a, a couple episodes, I ne- I've never played Dragon Ball Legends, right? Mm-hmm. But just even hearing like those, like, as someone lately who's been learning about, uh, game development, Hearing about, uh, like all the, the little notes, uh, from the, the guys that worked on the game, like all the way back then, that was just really cool. Like just something about that and like what it had to do with this game that is like so like meaningful to everybody. But, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that's, that, that's what I'm talking about is like, I think that that is what's had like not just, you know, the show stands to set the test of time, but your guys' website and your podcast. And your passion for the franchise, even through like when, when there's like, oh, that's not so great about the cropping of the orange bricks or, oh, that's not so great about whatever. Oh, there's some things about super that are kind of, that are kind of disappointing or, oh, this video game's not that great. Despite that, the passion of like, we fucking love this franchise and we love like what it means to us, like truly. That's, that's incredible, you know? I feel that way every day that I get to work on this website with some really cool dudes. And I, I think I've talked about this. Um, I don't, other than super nowadays, like I don't regularly watch Dragon Ball or read Dragon Ball. It's been a long time since I've just sat down and dove into the series. It's my constant work for the website that really ignites and reignites and reignites every day my love for the franchise. Where I want to go now is kind of like the the future of the show because I, I feel like we're at a crossroads here. Podcasts are basically dead. You have your large scale major budget productions. Those are the ones that get the big attention. Your independent podcasts have always been the independent things on the side. We are now in the 
generation, though, where long form content, and I say this, it's such a huge conflict because serial is such a, a sensation. Long form content isn't what the audience in general seems to want these days. But it's what I love and it's the only thing I know how to produce. Maybe you could say, well, Mike, you just don't know how to adapt. You need to adapt to what the audience likes. To that, I say, like, no, (laughs) I think this is what we're good at. And I think it would be a disservice to our content to condense it down into some kind of bite-sized thing. Do you think that's going to have an impact on Consensu in the future, though? I don't think it has to. And actually, this is kind of a perfect correlation. You know, I've been doing animation online uh, pretty much since the podcast started. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people that I grew up uh, in the same generation of, much like you grew up in in a generation of uh, DBZ fan site producers and and things like that, a lot of the animators that I, you know, that I knew back on Newgrounds uh, way Mm, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them have, you know, moved on and, you know, because they were able to adapt to how YouTube was going and like just like on to online content creation in general, a lot of them are, and this is with no disdain whatsoever, a lot of them are, are more successful than I am. They get, you know, millions of views. They make a like consistent living off of their online content more or less, you know, while also having to deal with the constantly changing rules of YouTube that you can't fucking win. Mm-hmm. But, um, and in my case, like, you know, I do stuff like Tome, which, is very niche. I'm lucky. I was actually just telling somebody else this. I'm lucky if an episode of Tome gets in the 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 six digit range, which in YouTube numbers is fucking nothing. Um, yeah. I'm extremely appreciative of the people who are dedicated to the content that I make, and, and I I, re- I rarely get like really like 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 real haters or whatever that I have to deal with in comments or something. Like everybody I, I know, I and it, like means something to them personally. Like it's not just like oh haha that funny cartoon where Mario ate a mushroom and he got high because and, and and then turned big because in real life mushrooms don't do that. You know, like, I don't have that. I have, hey, this story really meant something to me. And, like, Mm. I had a profound experience and I remember it. And with this, I mean, I literally just told you before, I've never forgotten, like, I could probably quote the fucking Scott Melder episode of, of your podcast. Right, yeah, that early you stuff, know? yeah, yeah. And, and, and even, like, and not, not so much to that level of dedication, but it's, it's the show itself. It's, I, and I've gotten to know you guys as people, like, but even if I didn't, just like, just hearing you guys coming from a place of you are invested into it and you give a shit about it, even through and through with the stuff that you don't love about it, because there is so much to not love about it in addition to the stuff to love about it. It's it's all of that that keeps people like myself and the tons of people that listen to it, you know, and and I'll I'll even be blunt, it does bum me out when like I go to your guys YouTube page and at best you guys are in the three digit range. Yeah, I know, but I also don't treat YouTube like anything really oh. for me i it's like oh i'll throw it up there as a convenience to someone who may be on youtube i think like that, me that's kind of what i was getting back to <laughs> i know it's kind of what i was getting back to earlier like if we actually put some effort into that realm maybe it could succeed beyond that but to accomplish that you have to play by that community's expectations and rules which is shorter bite-sized content like an hour-long podcast is nothing more than a convenience to have on youtube and even then like why would you listen to it on YouTube. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is actually, as you know, because you've guested on many of my curb blogs before, it's something that, again, it, it means something to people. And they're like, hey, yeah. like, I really enjoyed this topic. Like, that was really entertaining. Or, oh, hey, like, that was really good advice. Like, thanks for saying that. I, I needed to hear that. Not that, not that Consensu, the podcast is so, like, deep or whatever in that kind of way, I guess. Not, not to say that I'm fucking curb blog is deep or whatever. But I'm saying, like, when I, when I personally listen to an episode, like whether while I'm working or if it's like just for shits and it's like, I just feel like listening to whatever the newest one is today. I, I just go in and then I am like, I'm having a good time and this is great. And like, 
And, and like I was saying at the beginning, you know, you have a good episode. If I'm like, man, I, I can imagine myself being there and joining in on this discussion, like contributing to like what they're talking about on like what otherwise to somebody who doesn't give a shit about Dragon Ball be just this minuscule thing about a term or a character or a scene or a piece of mm. music or a game or whatever. And like we can make a whole like, like multi hour in some cases discussion out of that. And it's great. Yeah, a couple things. Number one, yeah, you need to put curb log into an RSS feed, release that as MP3s. K please. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next thing, um, I forget where I was going. So forget number two. Number three is, uh, yeah, the audience for our site and our show. Uh, it's so cliche to say this, but we really do have kind of the best audience because like you were saying they are a dedicated bunch I have people that follow us and still comment and still hang out that I have known since the news group days and they are still friends of the site and they are still commenting they are still listening and you could say oh you have a real clicky audience well maybe to some degree we do but the people that I see come in tend to stay in for a very long period of time and just this week we had a couple on Twitter of the lols you just posted the dragon ball fusions news old like okay yeah maybe we didn't post that one thing right away those people probably won't stick around though but the other 10 people that came in from that are probably going to be around for the very long haul and that's what really excites me is uh, i do get those comments from people that say hey i've never contacted you guys before i've been following the site for 10 years and that is always just like the best thing to hear um so that's not a cry for those people to contact us more often although please do contact us more often love to hear. <laughs> that's the stuff and you got to bring back it'll bring back the the listener emails you haven't done that shit in ages i know i'm trying to do a little bit more of that again with uh the comments on recent episodes i'm gonna have some more of that about the Majin stuff uh later this episode so stay tuned for that so i kind of want to bring this opening to a close because i do have a great topic for everyone this week that uh goes back to the old days of websites that uh, i'm hoping that this interview is going to be chris like you said the episode about legends was for you where it wasn't really a part of your fandom you never really had a chance to play it that in depth but you still enjoyed the episode and you found some stuff really fascinating about it i'm hoping and, and i'm going to project that this interview is going to be that same way for a lot of people that maybe don't remember the heyday of fan sites because we don't really have fan sites anymore <laughs> we have wikis and youtube pundits and that's about it these days uh, the fan site is something of a bygone era so um let's wrap up this introduction i will say chris thank you for joining me so i had some Someone to talk to and didn't just sit here in front of the microphone and tell myself that I'm great. Uh, I think you balanced it a little bit and it was still too much coming out of me, but oh well. Faux shiz. And uh, actually, before I leave, because I, I need to be self-indulgent, top DBZ fusion character you want to see in the new RPG game coming out? Uh, Apuragas? Is that even a question? <laughs> I want to see I want to see Frizel more Frizel, than anything yes. because that's that's the closest we'll ever get to like Axel. I was going to say Chris, you know, you you do have a design that you could have submitted to <laughs> this game. No, I'm I'm okay cuz I know we're not going to talk about the news, but I just want to say I'm upset because I actually wanted to like bug one of you guys to find out if there was a way for me to like enter like like oh, over the yeah. Japanese site cuz I wanted to enter that contest so bad and I'm I sad that it. I didn't, but either way, I, I, if that game comes to America, I'm playing the shit out of that cuz it looks amazing. <laughs> anyway, I I will say also just on the note of of, uh, of the topic too, uh, Greg is awesome, and I remember uh, hearing a lot of really informative, great stuff that he had to talk about uh, back when he was posting on Arlong Park uh, on the, the One Piece forum back in the yeah, day. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even realize, I think, until way later that he was so heavily involved in uh, kind of the DBZ fan world uh, before he was with One Piece. So uh, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm looking forward to time traveling later and hearing it, yes, in the, in the past future, 
Future Past? Consenju episode of Future Past. Time traveling adventures of Xenocast. Well, that's going to bring our intro to a close. So thank you to Chris for joining me here. Again, that was enough of the self-congratulatory stuff. The the raw recording right now is about half an hour, which is probably half an hour too long for what that should have been. But again, um, you won't hear that for maybe like two years now. We're done congratulating ourselves. It's all about Dragon Ball now. So let's bring this to a close. Now it is time for our interview with Greg Werner of the Ultimate DBZ info site. Now you may know him from his work with Shueisha uh, and with One Piece. It's time for Greg. Here on the show with me this week, somehow it's been over 10 years and he's never actually been on this here podcast. I'm kind of embarrassed by that and I'm almost offended at myself. Greg Werner ran what is likely the first of the second generation of Dragon Ball fan sites, uh, where Wuken and Daimao and Curtis Hoffman came before. Greg really kind of took up that mantle in 1997 and it was the ultimate DBZ info site that ran from, I was looking at the site, June 97 to, maybe we'll talk about this, what those sporadic updates were and when they began and stopped and began again, uh, ran for quite a few years after that. During that time, Greg also wrote articles for the Beckett DBZ magazine. And these days he's in Japan. Is it fair to say that Shueisha pays you to be the biggest One Piece fan on the planet? Uh, no comment. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, dude? Doing quite well uh, over here. Very happy uh, doing what I love in both terms of uh, professionally as, as a as a teacher and as a as a manga fan so doing quite well thank you for asking how are, how are you how is uh, how is everything I mean it must be crazy um, with with the revival of Dragon Ball and everything yeah we uh, definitely did not expect <laughs> that to happen yeah. uh, it seems like Toei didn't really expect that to happen either I mean we had all sorts <laughs> of other plans for the website and this is how it goes you know instead they'll do a movie and then we have to put things on the back burner and now they decide a new TV series like alright I guess the wiki is not coming out this year <laughs> we're gonna try <laughs> so damn hard to do it oh Oh, but Greg, I'm so glad to talk with you. Um, amazingly enough, we have spoken face to face or voice to voice very, very little over these last, honestly, 19 years at this yeah. point since uh, you started your site and I found it and I started my site the next year. So what I wanted to do here is dive back to that time, talk about what the uh, online atmosphere was like, why you got involved with the franchise, what you wanted to do with it, and kind of how that transitioned over the years and the decades even to uh, a professional life. So we got to go with the most hack question of all time. Greg, how did you get into Dragon Ball? Oh boy. Well, I, I guess it all goes back to Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I think that's it. It's uh, basically Chrono Trigger. I mean, that was the first thing. Well, why don't we go real, real far back? Um, the Dragon Quest animated uh, cartoon show. Oh, no kidding. Was something that I saw at a very young age. I, I don't know if you know that. You probably know the dates for that better than I do. What it ran in syndication, I think, on Saturday mornings. I want to say like 93 or something, but I'm probably wrong. Okay. Though. That was kind of my, the first image that I saw of the spiky haired Toriyama esque character. And that kind of stuck with, I I, I didn't caught it maybe once or twice. Um, I don't really even think I've talked about this. Um, yeah, but, I've never heard this before. Yeah. That was the, the first time where I, I saw something that was like, wow, this is, this is unique. And then uh, flash forward to, I guess, 94, 95 is around, uh, when I was really getting into RPGs on the, uh, Super Nintendo and Final Fantasy VI pulled me in, loved Final Fantasy VI. And then Chrono Trigger came out and they were like, this is the big thing. This is right. like uh, the big collaboration between Dragon Quest creators and Final Fantasy creators. And I was just like, 
I don't, I don't know much about Dragon Quest because I didn't put two and two together with the TV series. I mm. don't think I knew its name at the time, but I don't know much about that, but, but I do know that I love Final Fantasy. Boy, do I love this art style and it really reminds me of something. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't put two and two together, but, uh, it was very much that Dragon Quest style that I think caught me and played through Chrono Trigger. And <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, if not, the greatest. It's one of the greatest games of, of all time to this day. Oh, one of my biggest shames is that I did not play it until the DS re-release and Chrono Trigger, honestly, it absolutely is one of the best yes. games ever made. I mean, everything yes. about that game is perfectly paced, perfectly designed, and I could probably do a podcast about that game for hours. Yeah. There's there's just so much. Um, And that was when I started to realize that in EGM, mm-hmm. uh, some of the fan art was very similar to Chrono Trigger. And a lot of the articles mentioned this Akira Toriyama, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball kind of thing. I, was just, I still didn't know, but I was still like, wow, these, these really do seem familiar. I've, it's like I've seen these somewhere before. Uh, if you go back to the old EGMs, and I have a lot of them. Me too, um, man. <laughs> oh, good, good. Uh, you can see a lot of Dragon Ball artwork, like people that were way ahead of us. Yeah, and absolutely. They, they knew what was up. I, I would love to hear what some of those people have to say because, man, they, they knew. <laughs> that's the that's the awesome thing is that envelope art, uh, the primary thing you're probably talking about there. You yes. got You got full names and even states for those people, and they probably don't live in that state anymore. But with full <laughs> names and you attach Dragon Ball to it, we could probably just run down the list. Everyone with that full name say, you a Dragon Ball fan? You a Dragon Ball fan? You a Dragon Ball fan? Ah, got you. Please, please do. Please find them because, <laughs> wow. They they were ahead of the game. They really were, absolutely. Yeah. And the magazines were, too. I had a very similar uh, experience from the video game magazine side of things. I just looked up the Dragon Quest. It was actually 1990 that Saban... 1990? That makes it. sense. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, just seeing that artwork over and over and over, um, and I didn't get into it until 96 with the DBZ syndication broadcast, but by that point, everything about it felt so familiar, even though I hadn't actually played any of these games with his designs, but just being exposed to it so much, yeah. I feel like they were doing a pretty good job um, without realizing of indoctrinating us to, to Toriyama for a few years there. Yeah, it was kind of a slow mental takeover. Um, and boy, am I so glad to have been taken over because when I was uh, at a, uh, I guess like a, a pizza party or something, I had some friends over and uh, we stayed up real late, played a lot of video games. And I woke up at like, we went to sleep for like an hour or two mm-hmm. and woke up and at five clicked on the TV and just, I don't know, one of those weird moments in life where you click it on and there was just this kid there and I was just like, huh. Oh. It's like, he looks kind of familiar too. He's got that spiky hair thing going on, but it was the girl that he was with that really said like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I've definitely seen this. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was Bulma and she looks, I mean, just like a palette swap, basically, for Marl. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and that's not to, to knock uh, Toriyama or anything. Um, but, I mean, she does look very similar. She even has, you know, somewhat similar clothes. And uh, uh, I, I was just going, wow, this is this is really weird. And then an old man shows up riding a turtle. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? I had no idea what was, what was happening. But it was also weird. And it was happening also matter-of-factly. Like everything was just like, yep, this is happening and this is happening. Yeah, and- no one questions anything. And I mean, they do occasionally question things, but it's usually wrapped up with some kind of slapstick joke and they just go on from there. Yeah. And, and it just hit me as like this, it seems like there's this, this huge world and there's something that I'm missing. And, and I just, I wanted to know more. Mm. And the great part is that's like, that's like what? That's like, I think episode two, maybe. Right. If not, 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, it's not like, like, I don't know if I can express it properly, but I mean, it just felt like even at episode two, that there was so much going on and I just wanted to know more about it. And so I started to to keep up with it pretty regularly. I didn't get to see it every weekend, but I did try to catch up with it. And I saw more crazy things like the um, Yamcha and, and the group being captured and... Um, I think held in the cell at Pilafs. And, uh, I don't think I saw any of the big moments, but before I knew it and before I had all my answers, the show is off the air. Yeah. Yeah. So we're into 1995 here. Funimation's licensed the show. Um, they're showing it in syndication on TV. We get 13 episodes. We get the first movie on VHS and that's it. Done. Yep. I, uh, I, man, what was it? Saturday matinee, I think, at the uh, the local mall. I, I went there. I snapped those videos up so fast. Right. So fast. And um, uh, when was it? I don't even know if it was. Did, did I get the videos? I don't think I had the videos at this point. I think I was still in shock of like this show being gone. And I was just like, oh, I, well, okay, I guess that's that. I mean, because this was still, we, we didn't have internet in the house. Mm-hmm. Not many people did. Right. And um, I was just like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's part of my life gone. <laughs> I guess I'll never know what happened. And uh, it was 1996. And I think you know the exact date for this. Do you know when the exact date? Is September. I think it was like the first week, September. September. Uh, 96. Yeah. We're in uh, Arrival of Rabbits pops up on TV. Okay. I always thought, I always thought for some strange reason it was, it was October, but uh, September was playing Mario 64. Mm-hmm. My God, I remember the level. It was the uh, the snow level, and I was doing something. I was working my way up the penguin. Yep. And uh, my mom was like, "Greg, it's time for church." And I was like, "Okay, mom." And I shut it off. And the moment I did the um, I don't even know what it's called in English anymore. It was Nudioka Kitika, where you change the the input. I guess that's a change input, like the from the sixty four to the television. Oh feed. yeah, sure, sure. The second I changed it, it was this figure like running through the forest and um, he jumped down and the camera panned up his body. It was that hair. Ah, okay. Oh my God. I was just like, wait a minute. I know that hair. And I know this feeling just Mm -hmm. like (laughs) how many times has this been now where it's like, wait a minute. I know that. And I'm going, no, no way, no way, no way. And, um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess my, my memory is a little bit fuzzy of the order, but I just remember the first time that he's called Goku and I was just like, no freaking yeah. way. So at this point, you had no clue that not only did the show continue, but the characters were going to grow up over these decades. <laughs> no idea at all. I mean, it was just, again, it was that feeling of like, there's this world that I know nothing about. And, and I want to know more. That split second, so much was revealed to you about that world. And I'm sure you, you're <laughs> yes. probably speechless for a while there. Um, Yeah, I, I just stood in front of the, the TV and, and my mom was just like, let's go, let's go. And I was just like, <laughs> we got to go, we got to go. No, <laughs> no, hold on. I'm recording this. And then pff, in the first of many uh, VHS recordings of, uh, I think, WPIX. Yep. Is that it? Yep. Yeah, WB11. Oh, man. Came back and they just watched it and rewatched it and rewatched it. That was the start. So take me online here with you. Um, we're getting into late 96, early 1997. Clearly, at some point in 97, uh, if not 96 there, your family must have gotten internet at home. So what led you to, I need to express my love for this online somehow? Yeah, that's that's also a, probably a long story, and I'll try to keep it um, short and sweet as possible. That was a, a big time in my life for, for, for change because I 
was just starting my second year of middle school and uh it was I had middle school in my town was a 7th and 8th grade and through 6th grade I was at an at a very small elementary school and for middle school we went to the neighboring town's middle school which had many many students uh that that I never met before I kind of lived in a bubble and this was outside the bubble and I was starting to meet more people and a lot of people from different backgrounds and a a Chinese American friend of mine knew basically about Dragon Ball, like he kind of knew what was up. He'd seen a couple of the movies, and as I'd gotten to know a little bit more, I went back to the old EGM, slipped with them, and was like, okay, all right, I put all the the dots together, mm-hmm. made the picture, and I was like, all right, how can I find out more? And I asked him uh, about a place uh, where I where I could uh, basically obtain these tapes. And um, let's just let's just put all of this under the context of the times, of course, yeah. And, and um, uh, there were places in, in New York City mm-hmm. uh, that you could travel to and and get uh, obtain some of these um, some of these shows. What was your spot? Basement of the Elizabeth Center. Uh, first spot was underneath. There's a there's a bridge that's close to the Elizabeth Center. Do you know what bridge that is? I don't off the top of my um, head. No, it's, it's quite quite large. It's right in front of that uh, the the temple they have there. There's under the under the something bridge. There was a, a a indoor mall that was underneath that bridge, and that was the first place I went to. And they had only a couple things. They had some toys and they had a a, a couple movies. We went there and got I think maybe a movie. And then we said, Do you know anywhere else? And they said, Yeah, we can tell you another place. And then it was a a video game shop that was in front of the Elizabeth Center. Okay. And uh, I think you you probably know they used to do they used to do a lot of videos and they had most of the movies and I think I got a chunk of the movies there I think I got maybe um boy I want to say one ten which is the second Broly movie and uh thirteen and uh brought them back and within moments of putting in the 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 first video uh, the first movie i mean you've got such such a difference between i mean not only the voices but also the the background music mm-hmm. um the mood as you go into it the the kid is drunk right. i mean <laughs> uh, it was just like wait a minute this is this is like it's almost like what i've been watching until now has been something in, entirely different mm-hmm. that i think was the moment where i was like all right, this new internet thing that I'm, I'm hearing about, I've, I've got to do something about it. I've got to, I've got to look into this because there's some way I've got to find out more information and I can't go to the local library and find out more about this. Right. So that was the impetus to get internet in the house. Really? I, it was Dragon Ball. They kind of led the way for you. That was it. 100%. I remember having the conversation with my dad and he's like, all right, okay, I think we can do that. And he used, um, he worked at Kodak at the time and he had a lot, he had, uh, he sold, um, kind of like industrial printers. So he had, he had access to a lot of things that people didn't at the time, you know, home computers that were, you know, tiny laptops, all sorts of, of uh, great tech. So he brought some things home for me, set up, uh, the internet and started looking up more information about it. And <laughs> again, it's not like we had Google or, oh, um, no. I mean, the best we had was Yahoo, which you had yes. to manually submit your site to and a real live human being would approve it to be listed in the directory. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I didn't even know what, what email was. I didn't have a, I don't think I had a, a client for it or anything. So it wasn't even like I could communicate um, with people easily. It was, again, uh, video game magazines, like like links that I would get through them, mm-hmm. um, like the Save Our Sailors uh, websites. Sure. And you'd find people or links through those sites and they'd kind of take you around and it was, it was touch and go, but that's where I found, uh, the boy, is it Curtis Hoffman summaries? Yeah. Yeah. Is that correct? He was doing, uh, summaries of the manga volume by volume. And as we would get into it, uh, episode by episode summaries of GT. Okay. And I think I 
picked up the the end of that. The, I don't know the the timing of this exactly, but it was around mid ninety seven where I started to amass a collection episodes, these movies, and the Daisenshu. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point where I was like, "This is so huge, and I can't believe." I'm really the only one who, who's into this. Like a, a group of my friends were into it. Um, and they were like, this, this is cool. But I was like, I was like the one who was just like, I, <laughs> right. I will watch these tapes again and again and again. And it wasn't like, like it is today. Like, is there something new to find or is there, what, what can I, what can I see about how they did an audio trick or a transition? It was no, no, like, I just want to see these characters being cool for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to share that with people. And, and what I knew, because I knew we weren't getting a lot of it on television. I guess I was kind of like one of the original social, social justice warriors. Like, <laughs> out there, like, hey, look, you're not getting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was that was the start of, of wanting to start the ultimate Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon information. <laughs> information site. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were exposed to Dragon Ball and then, um, you know, we would seek out these, these other things. Our tapes only lasted us so long or what else can we watch? So Sailor Moon was on TV. So, you know, we all were watching Sailor Moon at the same time. So you start in your website. You've got the Daisen shoot. You've got uh, you've been a map fan subs is this a point where you said all right my niche is going to be information kind of with the ulterior motive there of look the man isn't giving you everything that you deserve uh, I'm, I'm gonna help you along that way I think it started more with information yeah like just wanting to to share this information or to be a part of it I feel like that it always starts out so pure doesn't it yeah I just had this feeling of like I want to be a part of, of something bigger mm-hmm. I guess this is this is also like a personal thing we're, we're getting really deep here but like I want to do something and this applies to maybe my my thoughts on life is something that mm, it's difficult to to put into words in English but and it's like it translates literally to like I want to do something that that nobody else could do yeah and um I think that was what I was trying to do at the time to specialize yourself in something and to try to do it better than anybody else could <laughs> whether i accomplish that or not is up for debate i think sure um but maybe not even debate <laughs> no I, I get where you're coming from but, though because i i definitely felt the same way i think a lot of us had um mirrored introductions to the franchise and then experiences where it's uh you're in your local circles and you're kind of like the biggest fan of that local circle you need to find more people like you that are at that level that you are and I think that's that purity that I'm talking about from that perspective where let's all get together this will be so amazing and I think we'll definitely transition into this the instant I think you get beyond that um, suddenly you have an audience and that wreaks havoc on you as a teenager yeah I really agree with that Um, as soon as I found that people were listening it was like okay well then I guess I have something to say right and whether Um, you did or not it doesn't matter because now you feel (laughs) obligated to share something (laughs) so it was I I guess the more I, I got to know about it, I, w- I was also, you know, a real tender time in life. Like I said, middle school, uh, transitioning in life, finding out who I am and where I'm going, uh, what I want to do. And I, I didn't like the fact that, let's, let's be honest, cartoons did have a certain label in the States yeah. at that time. I mean, it wasn't like it is today. Cer- you, you certainly had cartoons that, that hold up and that adults could enjoy. I mean, you had Batman. I think Batman is the prime amazing. example that everyone points to from that time, but that was yeah. about it. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, maybe Animaniacs as well. I mean, that's, that's pretty good humor there, but I mean, it's again, that's wacky, zany humor, not this, um, cool, basically 
or something that, you know, anybody could look at and say, that's, that's cool. Yeah, a dramatic story serialized over time. There were things like that, but it was, there was nothing quite like Dragon Ball. Yeah. So I guess I didn't want to be labeled as, as being a child or, mm. or being with that. So when, when Dragon Ball come, came out with all of these edits, it was just, it was in, it was actually made me really angry. It was just like, why are, why are people seeing this side of it? Why, why can't they see what it, it for what it really is? Which, what it really is, is a kid show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. And you kind of get angry at two sides of it. You get angry at the company that's doing it, but then you also get angry at the fans who are okay with it at that time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I guess that, that, that did carry over too. It was just like, why are you, why are you okay with this, guys? It's just like, there, there's more to this. You can, you can be seeing more if you want to. And I think that's where I started. What did I do? Did I get the petition or something? I, I was looking back at the, the old website. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think there signatures. were a couple stages there. I mean, early on, it was just fan subs, fan sub, fan subs. You know, check these out. This is where everything is. And I think that's when you started sharing some of that early information. Um, but then that's also when, and we'll get to this real briefly. That's when Funimation was kind of transitioning as a company, though. But let's stick with the running of the website itself. Yeah. So what else did you set out to do? And what were some of those um, first big projects that you launched? The first big one was, I guess it goes back to what you were saying more about the, the pure side of it was I just wanted people to know about what was happening further down the line. So that's where I did, I think I did movie summaries and, uh, fight summaries, which is where I would sit down in my room with a portable television on top of a, a VCR and watch like maybe 10 seconds of, of, of something going on of action mm -hmm. and then write about that for like a paragraph. Right. And then just keep that up. And that's how I did, I think, the entire Frieza fight. I think one of the first things up there was a summary of the the fight with Goku versus Frieza. Because that's one of the first things I got my hands on. Sure. I mean, it was it was the next thing in line that we weren't getting. So I think we all kind of naturally gravitated to that. Yeah. And I remember calling Funimation's offices to ask them when the new seasons would be available. I think during that first season. And I think it was like maybe six months later that my dad got a phone call from Gen Fukunaga. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you could call. You had a 50-50 chance of either getting Barry Watson or Gen Fukunaga. I mean, there, <laughs> there were not many people there. You returned uh, my call. I never got it, but my dad gave uh, conveyed. He knew my thoughts on everything, so he conveyed that information. That's probably for the and, best. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, no, because because I was still I was still in like the the mood of like I want more. Oh, okay. Like, when when is more coming? Got it. I would I would meet him also years later at a toy convention, New York toy convention. Oh yeah, yeah. And that was really really weird. I don't think he knew who I was. It doesn't matter, but <laughs> that's fine. Um, so what else were you doing? Um, when does this turn into the, the learning Japanese and the sharing of that information? Uh, do you mean the, uh, slash current state, the, uh, the grand line? Um, or maybe. So kind of take me over the, the time frame here, because in addition to just the summaries of things, you had your FAQ up there. Um, and just a little aside here, I think I've maybe told this story before. The first time I ever spoke to you online was in mm -hmm. a Yahoo chat room um and gt had just recently ended and it, this must have been real soon after that because i got my raw tape later in 98 after i started my website so you must have gotten that tape at some point and i asked you you know what happens at the end of gt and you typed out this wonderfully long explanation and i'm 99 sure that you just copied and pasted that to the faq of your page and that remains there on the website <laughs> i just i was just looking at that this morning and i was thinking about that i was wondering if it was the same i'm, I'm pretty sure pretty sure it is probably is yeah at, at this point you must have been you said you were collecting the daizenshu so when did this turn into this um 
desire to not just learn more, oh, but really yeah. dive in and share. Uh, I mean, you were translating the battle power charts and all sorts of things. Yeah. The th- thank you for being kind enough to say translating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do have another story about that, but I want to hear your perspective first. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was in between my freshman and sophomore year. That was my, my summer project. Um, that's, that's basically what I did all summer was I sat down and I made that, those parts of the site, I think it was the fists of the dragon. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, which were the, the techniques and, the character summary. And that was me not knowing who still who many of the characters were, especially the the anime or original characters trying to translate all of the information from their biographies, uh, including adding my own thoughts and opinions on them. Right. I, I mean, there, there's some information there that that's accurate. I mean, you've got like birth dates, um, the translation. I mean, that's purely what I thought was cool. Um, or I had seen on, uh, or I'd seen romanized on merchandise, mm-hmm. but that was one of the projects that I remember being really proud of. Um, because I think there's like what 450 something characters that I went through, and I remember going to like school and accessing the internet school and just being like, "Hey guys, hey guys, look, look at this, look what I did." And kids were, you know, my my classmates, my peers were like, "Wow, that's a lot of text. Cool." <laughs> um, it was kind of off-putting um, how much work you put into things. And we continue to see that just from my perspective to this day. Um, it seems to be a, a bunch of levels of new fans as um, they seek out now what's online. Uh, and everything's cool for a little bit. And I feel once they hit Konzenshu and they see what's out there, it's almost off-putting how much information there is. Like, wait, I thought this was a cool thing. Oh, shit. I just stepped into the nerdiest thing in the world. What have I got myself into? <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess, I don't know. It was, again, part of that wanting to, to do something that hadn't been done yeah. to, to bring it to as many people as possible in as pure a form as possible. Unfortunately, a 16 year old with a, with limited Japanese ability and a dictionary in his hand and a, <laughs> a keyboard on his, in his other hand is not the best way to bring it in its quote unquote purest form. No. Um, because as I said, I was careful to say, I put a lot of my own thoughts and opinions into those as well. Boy, did that cause discussion and problems for me? Probably not to this day. I think it's mostly died down, but up until probably about five, six years ago, I was still getting people who would say like, well, didn't Greg say this or people angry at me for like things that I, I, had, I had written? I think the most famous example is Goku and Frieza's battle powers um, from their big fight there. Um, and this was one of the mistranslations that um, I'm so glad is still there uh, because the 15 and 12 million versus uh, 150 million and 12 million confounded people for years and years and years. Like, well, Greg wrote this, so it must absolutely be true. Can I be perfectly honest? I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh really? Oh man! <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. this um, is all new to me. Yeah. The the battle powers for Goku and Frieza. Um, they're okay. listed at, uh, and I'm getting the numbers wrong here because I'm not the battle power thing. Basically, it's an order of magnitude of one extra zero, either being put on or not put on there, which okay. led to the most hysterically inaccurate discussions ever since you quote unquote translated this. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Did I mess up a number? And it, oh, I, I wish I could see this right now. Like, oh, 
That's that's great. You've made my my day here. <laughs> I didn't know I had something like Jake that. Jake and Heath have a good write up for it in uh in our battle power guide, and you have a nice little uh <laughs> aside explaining what you wrote there and what the problem with it was, and that's the amazing thing about um your site is still online, so it's not even like we have to go to archive.org and kind of pull it up. It's like, here's mm-hmm. literally what it says and here's uh, all the problems that it caused over the years. And I'm sure y- you really don't care, but it's just a wonderful yeah. thing that we can point back to. And I think, like you said, it's a 16-year-old just learning about it. And I think you're starting to see, like you were saying yourself, a little too much editorialization in what you're trying to present as raw facts. And that's something we all struggled with for years, if not a decade or two. I mean, it was a real problem for someone who never had an audience before to suddenly have one and be expected to deliver information like, well, I can't pump out that much information. I have to supplement it with something else. Yep. But I mean, also, you know, you feel you feel happy that that people are listening, even if you you have nothing to say. Um, but I guess I still I still felt pretty comfortable or, or, or at least enjoyed writing about it when I even when I got into college, because that's when I, I started to add the. The, the parts about um uh well Sayuki and about you know I was just mm. I lo- I read through that whole page today actually and that was kind of cool like that was one of the things I was like oh okay I kind of evolved as as a person I was like sourcing things and right, right. um uh it wasn't wild speculation it was like well this this could be or or that might be and you know using the, the basically the introduction of ambiguity in, instead of this is fact right and this is what it says so I I do I did get to see that that kind of growth and that was nice um but that was I think one of the one of the last things I ever did for the site yeah I mean there were the let's just translate stuff out of the guidebooks as is um you had lots of early interview stuff there you're still I think the the first one who translated the Oda and Toriyama from Color Walk right ah oh, that was that was fun yeah you, I'd, I'd even like to redo that again. I, I was a little bit better at translation then, but I'd, I'd like to redo that. Sure. So, I mean, there was so much content being added to the site. The, the site was kind of self-maintaining itself as you just continue to add to it and add to it. Um, and I love going through the updates because I was doing the same thing. We would talk about like what our grades were on our exams <laughs> and what our weekend <laughs> plans were. I mean, there was, there was no differentiation for us, even though we knew we should and we were starting to, but there was no difference between a personal blog and information website and like this online entertainment persona. It was all one big thing, but that really was all we could do because we didn't have social media and blogs weren't really a thing yet. So our site really, it was a homepage and we all called it that because it wasn't just about the show. And I go back even to some of the stuff that Wuken was doing, Curtis Hoffman was doing, um, Ed Gorgon. They all had these extra pages about whatever. I forget who it was, whether it was Curtis or Ed or even Sherwin there. There's a page about like scams and how to avoid being scammed in like online transactions. Like this has nothing whatsoever to do with Dragon Ball, but we all had that random shit. <laughs> I think it was uh, David Rutledge. Oh yeah. If I'm yeah, pronouncing yeah. his name right. He, um, he also had like, Hey, there's a picture of me lining up for the Star Wars re-releases in the local newspaper. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I saw that the other day. Yeah. Oh, all right. So the website continues to grow with more and more content. You're actually starting to translate things here as well, as opposed to some of the early stuff. How does Beckett come into play? And we're going to get back to Funimation here because the show is just continuing to grow and grow and grow. Season three begins in 1999. I mean, we hit this huge peak in around 2001, 2000. 2002, um, and Beckett were doing their Dragon Ball Collectors magazines. Um, how did you get involved there? 
that was that was serendipity uh, and a, and a life lesson um, to always check your junk mail. <laughs> really? Um, yes, because uh, I would get I was bombarded with with email. Oh yeah, I, again, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. All we had was our website and email. So any point of communication came through there. Yeah. Uh, well, that or instant messenger. Oh, we right? had IMs. That's right. Yeah. Just deleted that off off an old computer. I was <laughs> did you really? taking down. Yes. It was like, do you want to save any old history or old chats? And I was like, no, goodbye. No. Goodbye, Piccolo Demon Please. God, and goodbye, <laughs> DBZ Info DBZ God. Info yeah. God. Yep. Yeah. So there was someone who was uh, who was a close friend at the time, and uh, we were we were both at my dad's uh, story that had a graphic design store on the business on the side, and uh, I left my email open, and uh, she was going through the emails. She was like, "Oh, do you, you want to check your junk email?" I was like, "No, nah. it's just like it's it's probably just uh, a, a bunch of either scams or or people that just want to know stuff that I I can't answer right now because I was in the thick and the thin of of high school and trying to get my grades up at that point, uh, not not up or trying to keep them up rather, um, because you know applying to college. And it's such a fun process. Uh, she she goes through and she's like, "Are you sure there's one that's titled like Do you want to write for our magazine?" And they're just like, "It's, it's no, nah, it's definitely a scam." And she's like, uh, "Okay." And she opens it up and it's like, uh, "It's from this company that calls you by your name and wants you to write about Dragon Ball." And I was just like, um, uh, "Okay, all right, can I see that, please?" <laughs> <laughs> and that was the start of Beckett. Beckett is I, I don't to be honest i don't know much about the company i know they're associated with cards i guess and card gaming yeah when when i was a kid and collecting baseball cards i mean it was the beckett price guy telling you what all your cards were worth and they really kind of expanded out into the the nerd realm with all the trading card games and kind of lashed onto whatever the popular franchises were all right I guess they, they saw the tide, they, you know, they kind of oh, read yeah. the tea leaves and they said this Dragon Ball thing is going to be big. Dragon Ball had, I don't know, did it have the card game at the time? I, I guess it did. Well, there were collectible cards and I'm not sure when Animayhem came out. That's probably around yeah, when, that time. And I, I guess they decided to, to get into it and they saw that, you know, this is a, this is a big thing. So let's, let's make an unofficial guide. And the thing you got to know about unofficial guides, I don't know if they still make them or publish things like that, but unofficial guides are totally official. Um, they, it just, they're, they're allowed to be published. They have rights to, to publish, but they adding unofficial makes it sound cool. Right. Like you're <laughs> rebelling a little bit. Like we know yeah. all the stuff that you can't get from the man. I, I hate to bring it back to, there, there's some man. So I guess that man is Gen Fukunaga. It's not going to give it to you. <laughs> but yeah, it, it really did feel like that way. Like they were the, the cool kid on the side. So that was, that was the, the start of my, my time with Beckett. That was, that was really cool. That was, that was a lot of fun to be able to take something that was a hobby and turn it into something that, well, basically, helped me pursue my dream. Yeah, I mean, you were what in college at this point? Uh, I was finishing up high school. Okay, I don't know the exact dates, but I was finishing up high school. Like I said, you know, trying to apply to different places. Uh, by working with them, uh, I was able to to save up a great deal of money. Uh, I, you know, I was definitely working with them in high school because I took a a day off to cover a Cartoon Network press conference in New York City. Oh, man. <laughs> My parents let me, yeah, take it off. And uh, I got to meet, actually, uh, Gendy Tartakovsky, creator of uh, Dexter's Lab. Nice. So that was that was really cool. Um, Got to cover that. Got to cover, I mentioned it earlier, the uh, the Toy Fair, uh, New York Toy Fair, and uh, met a lot of cool people, um, saw a lot of really cool things as, as a high school student still. And that was a really great experience. As far as, you know, 
getting involved with anyone official, you know, on, on the official side, Funimation, I mean, I'd probably burned those bridges years ago. <laughs> um, so I never, never did go that route in particular, but I, I was certainly having fun with the magazine. And what I did with that allowed me to study abroad in Japan. Some of the stuff that I think, too, and I, I wasn't really big into it because I, I was in a very different uh, position than I think regular fans because I was also running a website. So I wouldn't say I saw you as competition, but it was very much a, well, like I already know everything that's in here so and I'm in I think um, maybe I'm ever so slightly older than you so it was like this is a magazine for kids this isn't really doing it for me I already have my thing on the side so I was never really big into it but of course I had to buy a couple every once in a while and check them out Mm -hmm. and I was able to learn things because you were kind of the only one translating the GT perfect files like ever (laughs) 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 and we very little that Jake has done from them Uh, we'll get to those eventually we say we'll get to everything eventually Mm -hmm. but you were kind of trailblazing there, translating stuff no one had ever heard of. And GT, depending on the time frame, like wasn't even on the horizon yet. You were sharing the timeline from GT and all the transformation stuff. That, that really was new information being brought to the audience. And you kind of had the exclusive on it. That was, I only remember vaguely uh, a lot of the doing the work from the GT files. But I, I do remember, again, enjoying it. I mean, it was a challenge. And it, like you said, I, I don't know if I myself could call it trailblazing, but it was, it was fun to, to get that feeling that you're doing something that, that somebody hasn't done yet. It's yeah. really exciting. And I did enjoy that. Do something cool, have fun, turn it in and you have an audience for it. Um, from what yeah. you remember, what did they ask of you? Was it kind of free reign? Like Greg, when you, what do you want to write? Or we need an information Ooh. column. We need an opinion column. Like what was yeah. kind of the, the demands? Let's see. I, I do remember, what did I call it? This, what was the character? profiles like every month there were character profiles right was that the z files might have been the z file whatever the character profiles were they're monthly there were two of them i believe each month okay those were kind of like in-depth profiles i guess like if there were years born given we'd go into that how ages power levels addresses and they they gave them to me um they'd be like hey this month can you write about this person and this person and i'd say sure and it was great because it was dragon ball and at the rate of two a month you'll finish in 20 years so (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) job security there yeah uh so there was there was that was a given that was every month and then it was always a question of whether i'd have one or two additional articles. Got it. At the start, it was, it was easy because they literally look at the website and they'd be like, we, we want you to do something like this. Mm. And I'd say, okay. And I'd either basically take my work from the website, which was my own work and put it up there, maybe dress it up a little bit, change a few things. Yeah, sure. By that point, I think I was starting to realize that I was, <laughs> I was off on a few things so i tried to to fix things for the for the articles uh, i'm sure there's there's still a lot of erroneous information uh, that slipped in but i was trying to make something that was respectable and responsible as i was getting to course, be an adult yeah. i was starting to to see more of like oh this is kind of the big time now and because i am getting remuneration remunerated for this uh, i should have some integrity yeah and that was the, the the start of looking at the website and being like, ooh. But uh, basically, they would decide the direction. I think the one one thing that I I created for them that I then used on my website was I think it was the character relation tree. Oh, okay, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I created that for them, or no, yeah, and then used it on my website. 
I'm pretty sure that's how that went. I don't know, a little bit fuzzy. If you go back to my updates, you can probably find the, the story behind that. But I think that's how that went down. Also, the the character files, the the character guide, all 453. I think that was spread out over a couple issues. That those magazines, those were for a lot of fans in this country. I mean, that was almost like a third of their fandom. You kind of had the show itself, and then maybe merchandise like toys and maybe whatever games are starting to come out. But man, those Beckett issues. People tell me all the time how much nostalgia they have for that specifically. It's those those, those crazy um, airbrush cover arts, all the articles in there. They yeah. were really proud of them. They were really proud of them. Yeah. People loved those magazines. And it's, I think from my perspective, what's, what's nice now is to hear that you were enjoying it and that you were getting something out of sharing that information. Very different from how you were sharing it on your website. And that kind of, it sounds to me like that started your next journey, um, which I do want to get to, but I want to pull it back to for just a little bit. Sure. And this isn't the fun stuff, but I think history is really important. And I, I mm-hmm. want to still collect these stories while we're only two decades removed from some of this stuff, because this is going to be lost to history. I want to mm-hmm. talk about Funimation's transition and what we were all doing online and kind of what all the agendas were online. So we talked a little little bit about that early purity if I want to share information, getting into the fan subs, kind of taking it in that direction of, look, you're not being given what is owed to you as a fan. Like there's this true, pure version out there. Um, I think back to you had the Gotenks flipping um, the bird. I, I think there was just... I think I had Bulma in the bath. Right, right. There, there was a lot of um, <laughs> cheeky attitude, but there was a lot of real nastiness out there. And I want to preface this by saying we're all adults now, and I think we've all got over ourselves. So I do want to look back at it in that context. But there were a couple, let's call them players at the time. On the kind of uh, going the more official route, there was Steve Simmons, who remains one of Funimation's translators to this day. I uh, did all of Dragon Ball Z, all of GT, um, very early with um, Dragon Ball movies, all that good stuff. Um, there's another guy... At- part of the kind of Toriyama.org click. Uh, I'm sure you're going to remember the name. No one else does to this day. Brian Real, who was, I think, younger than all of us. Brian never went on to like run a website or anything, but there was this two-sided, definitely, uh, feud between you guys. And I think you were on the, look, you guys are trying to go about this the wrong way. The stuff is already out there. Here it is. Funimation is trying to prevent you from getting it. Whereas Brian and Steve and some of the other folks were approaching Funimation basically with a complete business deal saying, here's the audience for what it is. Here's what we can provide. What else do you remember about that time? I, it was entirely probably from from just the the realm of like I like I mentioned before is this is something that is is not for kids. I think I, I made mm. the argument many times that yeah. like this is not for kids. And in the states and certainly at the time, uh, it wasn't. It, it wouldn't be uh, considered appropriate. I don't even know if if by today some of the some of the things I got away with would be considered appropriate for, for children. Yeah, I mean Japanese um, standards have changed, and the show is now airing um, Sunday mornings. So I mean, there's a lot different over there too. Yeah, and it was. I, I don't want to be labeled as a child. Yeah. And again, look at my age at the time. We, we, we all were children, with the exception of maybe Steve. <laughs> Everyone yeah. else was a child. And it's definitely that I'm a child. I don't realize I'm a child and I'm still going to be a child probably for another 10 years. It, well, it was, it was, yeah, it was that, that part. 
it was an important transition though. I mean, you're, you're no longer a child child, but you're a child realizing that you're going to be an adult. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that the difficulty came in is I don't want to be labeled this anymore. I don't want to be part of this. And I think it's a lot of that, that angst that, that fueled that. Yeah. Uh, and it blinded me to a lot of things. I mean, boy, I, I, I cringe when I, I look at some of the, the arguments. This is so unfair. And, uh, it's just like, well, um, maybe it was kind of unfair, but, also, there's something called copyright and-, <laughs> <laughs> and, and running a business and formulating an actual business plan and talking about a return on investment. Like, it's stuff that we had no concept of. We thought we did, but we really had no idea. And yeah, isn't it awful? You go back and look at some of the stuff. And I think this is about you and I'm interviewing you, but I do want to give this little aside. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people rail on me specifically for giving people too much of a chance these days. Like, oh, why don't you just ban so-and-so? I was like, well, because I remember what I was like when I was 16 and first getting into Dragon Ball. And I think I became a productive member of society. So like, let's Give them a little bit of a chance. You know what? It's awesome that you're mentioning this because literally right now um, on Twitter, there's this thing going on. And I, I don't know how official or unofficial it is, but there's there's some people who are ranking Toonami shows right now. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole ranking business going on. Uh, it came down to a One Piece versus uh, DBZ Kai. And uh, it, it was a vote. And it was just like, which one is more popular? It's like a March Madness kind of uh, thing sure. going on. And, uh, there, there's one, one, you, you look at the comment, one piece, it came out on top from the votes. And as the votes were going on yesterday, I guess one piece took a, a lead. Mm-hmm. And there was one poster in particular who has just been very vocal and is just like, Oh, this is, this is unfair. And, um, you know, this is, this is, they're, they're cheating. The one piece fans are, are loading the vote. And I think, I think I added like one, one silly comment and then an, another silly comment that wasn't to that individual directly, but just in general, kind of a, a fun comment, just like, you know, Hey, look at this. Hey, isn't this kind of funny that, that we're having this discussion? And the individual went on and commented that one piece fans are cheating. Can't you ban them, ban them, ban them and just going down. And I was going to reply. And then I realized, nope, <laughs> because I remember, yeah, I remember that feeling. And you know what, kid? Um, run with it. Keep, keep that feeling for as long as you can. Uh, Cause it that's, will fade. That's cool. It will fade. You will become self-aware and <laughs> you will feel remorse at some point in your life. And I think that's kind of the way I want to wrap it up because things got disgusting and nasty from all sides. It wasn't just you. It wasn't just Brian. It was myself. It was Mr. E. It was everyone that was around at that time. We were insufferable toward each other. It was, it was awful, wasn't it? It was just the most terrible feeling in the world that you were trying to be terrible to other people. Yeah, I remember I remember a lot of slander here and there. Obviously, I I didn't have any ground to stand on because I was in the wrong basically for for everything, but I just didn't really realize it at the moment. But then I guess also you have other people who were like, "Oh, well, I guess you know, he he is just, you know, kind of finding himself in who he is, so he should he should realize that and we should I guess maybe let him go." Uh, but I mean, that's what it is to be a kid. You have fights, um, you you learn something and you you move on. You you, you go on with your life and hopefully um, you become a better person because of it. And now I can look back on that and say, hey, I did that. Uh, I was a part of it. Um, a lot of it was fun. Some of it was sad. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that I experienced all of it because I can kind of pass that on. And it led to so many 
good things. Your time with Beckett sounded like it was not only fun, but productive and led to all sorts of different things. Your time with a Dragon Ball, that the way that you were a fan of something and the types of things that you latched onto that led to future career paths. And I think that is one of the saving graces for a lot of us at that time is uh, we found careers and new paths in life to uh, use that as a stepping stone. And I think that's kind of the only thing that we can look back at and say, yeah, that was shitty. But at the same time, (laughs) here are some of the good things that came out of it. And let's, I don't even want us to reflect on it because there was, we were just terrible to each other. I've probably blocked a lot of it out of my Oh, me too. Me too. People tell me stories. I'm like, I said that. Yeah, I probably did. I am real sorry. (laughs) I said that because I certainly didn't mean it at the time. And uh, I was 17 and and I shouldn't have had an audience. So where I want to take this, because I don't want this to be Greg's on trial and Mike's on trial and let's pay for our sins of the 90s internet past. But I want to take it to some of the things that um, it afforded you, that opportunity. But real quickly, um, another Greg story, I love this, was do you remember April 2nd, 2004 in Japan? Oh my God, that was that is the greatest coincidence in my Dragon Ball history, like my Dragon Ball fandom. That is just like you, you couldn't, you couldn't write a story that perfect. <laughs> so, uh, again, social media didn't exist. We, we still had the news group. Um, I think at that time, I don't know if our current installation of the, the Daisenshu EX forum was up. I think it was. I think it was like January or February that year. So we were kind of all collected and together. So it was April 2nd, 2004. You were in Japan. The final volume of the Kanzenban had come out. It was still April 1st in America when you told us all, hey, Toriyama wrote a new ending to the manga. Fuck you, Greg. No, he didn't. What are you talking about? These shitty, tiny little photos. We couldn't see anything. Completely making it a ha ha. Yeah, thanks. Well, <laughs> turns out that <laughs> Toriyama actually wrote a new ending to the manga in the Kansenban. That was, I, I mean, I still remember all those feelings. That was such a fun day. <laughs> that was, I remember the, I picked it up at, um, at the bookstore. I, I wrote out to the bookstore real Early in the morning, uh, as I did for all of the the Kanzenban releases on day of release, opened it up uh, in the bookstore after I purchased it and flipped all the way to the end and was just like, no. And I immediately got back on my bike and just, it was like, <laughs> I, it was, I think it's a 40 minute bike ride. And oh my, man, I, I, sw- I did it in 30. <laughs> and um i just remember i'm like this is going to be amazing i was just like i've got to take the shittiest pictures possible yeah. um i've got to make it look terrible like all my old april fools that honestly were were done in earnest right and uh uploaded it and i was just like and it's just like the moment it was like sandy was just like and chaos <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was, that was a great, great time. Yeah. And we didn't know it was coming. I think that was the best part. We had been Mm -hmm. covering, um, Julian was buying the Kanzenban releases and we were putting up the, the photos from the other artists. Like we knew the Kanzenban was a thing and it looked great and it was a wonderful product. Never in a million years did we expect that that's what was going to happen. And just the the timing of that date, you, you could not ask for anything better than that. No, no, it was so great because I, I knew I had to get it done before April 1st was done in the States. Right. So, uh, great times. Thank you. Well, tell me about, and we're going to start wrapping it up here. Tell me about your transition into One Piece. Obviously, Dragon Ball was that first love. Um, so what is kind of like the, the short version of how did you discover One Piece and how did you transition over to that? Yeah, One Piece 
was well it basically came out of the uh you know the, the Beckett allowing me to to uh save up enough to come to Japan through a rotary uh youth exchange program and uh when I was in Tokushima prefecture uh which is down south little island uh called uh Shikoku I was being guided around the town by two college students and they were like you know here are the cool places in the town and they were just volunteers I, we we talked about Dragon Ball, of course, as I talked to anyone that would, <laughs> right. would look at me about Dragon Ball. And they were like, as, as we, what did I do? I bought them, I think like the, the first volume of Dragon Ball and volume 42, yeah. just like kind of as a gag. Um, and I was just like, thanks for, for taking us around. And they were like, hold on. They came back and they said, if you like Dragon Ball so much, you should read this. And it was the first volumes of One Piece. I had seen One Piece before. Uh, I, the first time I went to Asahi or, or something, uh, not Kinokuniya, but some other Japanese bookstore that I think is gone now oh, in New York City. Oh, yeah. I remember the one you're talking about. I forget what it was. Uh. I think it's near Grand Central Station or was near Grand yeah, Central yeah. Station. Uh, the first time I, I went there, there was a, a jump that just happened to have Nekomajin, not Zet, just Nekomajin, right? Yeah, yeah. I had, had Nekomajin and I was just like, Toriyama, Toriyama on jump. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I bought it and it was the, it, Gon was on the cover from Hunter Hunter. Okay. And it was. Here, I'm going to look it up because if Nekomajin was in it, then I can figure out what volume this is. It contained a, a chapter of One Piece that's actually a pretty big chapter. It had a huge color spread, uh, that was actually a trifold color spread and a, a big chapter at, at Arlong Park. And I looked at it and I was just like, this is crap. Um, <laughs> All right. So, so I looked it up. This was uh, Weekly Jump 1999, double issue 2223. It was uh, April that year. There you go. And th- so that was my first, basically, encounter with One Piece that I was aware of. And I, I didn't, no, sir, I don't like it, is basically <laughs> my, my, my opinion. And after they gave it to me, I, I figured, okay, I guess I'll give it a try. I opened up the first volume, flipped through it. Literally flipped through it, didn't stop to read anything. I was just like, okay, these character designs still aren't really grabbing me. They're really Disney. And I'm not about that. I'm about Dragon Ball. I like the angles and, and yeah. And then I got back to the States and I started to read through them over uh, winter break from uh, after my first semester of uni by volume nine. I was hooked and I knew again, I was just like, it, it has begun. <laughs> it's, it's happened. Oh no, it's happening again. <laughs> right. And you weren't the only one. Uh, I think back to, I don't know what Wuken was doing, but he started some other side site. He was into One Piece as well. I, I'm throwing this name out there as if anyone else knows who he is. Wuken, who ran Susinshu, Dragon Ball fan site before us. All of them were transitioning into One Piece because they were all following Jump, um, wait, just manga wait. in general. Are you telling me Wuken had a One Piece shoot off page as well? He did for a very brief time. I don't think it went anywhere. Oh, I can still kind of picture gosh. what it was. I think just um, Luffy, Zoro, and Sanchi, just kind of like a black and white photo of them walking forward, like toward the camera. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't think it went anywhere. But so it was between Wuken and then you. And then as I became friendly with Julian, Julian got into One Piece as well. I'm like, well, everyone's into this. I guess this is the next big thing because all of the Dragon Ball people are transitioning over to One Piece. It was it well, it is the the, the big thing, and uh, I, I love it. And every single time I I enjoy One Piece, I I thank Dragon Ball because man, One Piece exists because of series like Dragon Ball. Yeah, and I would I would even venture to say 
mainly Dragon Ball. I mean, that that's a little bit bit sophomoric, I think. Uh, it, it's definitely more than that, far more than that. But I mean, if you look at the, the big influence in his life, I mean, it was Dragon Ball. It was what created his the the atmosphere of of camaraderie yeah. at, at his school. Um, and what basically laid the foundations for the series. So we have, I mean, even just from our perspective where we're covering Dragon Ball, Oda pops up all the time from those later years with those interviews and the comments and all the ancillary material. And the story, uh, that you're kind of alluding to there is just being at school with his friends, bringing in the recent issue of Jump and everyone kind of crowding around and being just up in arms about who's died this week and being so upset over it. I literally have heard the man. Tell that anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the flesh. Uh. And it, he says, like, it was, it was huge. He was like, everybody was just like, it was like, everybody was running through the halls, just like, Krillin's dead. <laughs> no, Krillin's dead. And it was just like, what? No. <laughs> I've actually walked through those halls too. That's a little bit weird to think about that, but, um, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about it at that time, and I mean, they, they had no internet too. So I mean, right. what was their form of communication? Their friends at school. Yeah. The schoolyard. And, I think all the stuff that we were doing kind of with video games at the time, like, I remember sharing how I found what was it like uh, level six in Zelda one in the second quest like that was my big schoolyard revelation uh, it, for them it was sharing oh I, I got the latest issue of jump and I can tell you what happens this week in Dragon Ball <laughs> that's so great oh. <sighs> so I mean there's so many more places we can go and I'm gonna have to have you back I, mean, I think I'll, I'll drag in Julian we'll, we'll talk about this Oda Toriyama connection but I think seeing where Oda came from as a Dragon Ball fan you can kind of see where Greg came from and went as a Dragon Ball fan into a One Piece fan um, you look back at the Ultimate DBZ Info site and you see what transitioned into the Grand Line and transitioned into what you're about now where it's this very critical eye very thoughtful about the things that you're reading an impeccable memory about the things that you've read and noticing things that other people have never noticed before um, it all started there with Dragon Ball and the fact that you're still doing that today with One Piece and in an official capacity I think is it, it brings such a, a warmth to my heart as a Dragon Ball fan and and I'm not even the one <laughs> this is you over in Japan you've done this and that makes me feel good to know that Toriyama as an author kind of inspired someone in so many ways to go out and find himself in the world it's all about i mean uh, today i see a lot of people are like oh follow your dreams da, 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 so stupid a lot of people knock that follow your dreams thing um no there's a reason that the people have said that in history to follow your dreams is i mean that's what a lot of these series i mean one, one piece in particular i mean one piece is literally like about yeah. dreams. but i mean even dragon ball it, it 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 never says it but it's just about following what you love and and what you want to do and to try to do that better than anyone else can the the world is so huge you are a small portion of it go out find explore yeah i i hope that people don't lose track of dreams and they, and they hold on to those dreams as ridiculous as, as they might sound um uh really i mean you can it's possible. <laughs> you you can go uh, from not not owning the internet and, and seeing a, a, a series in, um, in in a video game magazine to to being associated in some small way yeah. uh, with with the very company that that creates it. I mean, you can do it. Yeah. Um, so so go for it. So I guess that leads us to Greg. Where are you, and what can people uh, see that you're involved with? Uh, right now, I'm I write articles for V Jump, uh, which is a, a video game magazine. Uh, over in Japan. It's called the Grey Log. 
That just rolls off the tongue, I know. <laughs> it makes uh, sense in Japanese. It really does. Makes sense in Japanese. Um, uh, let's see. That's a, it's an article about, uh, the mysteries of One Piece. Uh, more recently, it's about recent mysteries in One Piece, not looking back. It used to be about looking back on things. Now it's more about hot topics. Hmm. And also over at the, the One Piece official homepage, one-piece.com, uh, I do bi-weekly uh, columns uh, about the latest chapters and anime episodes of One Piece. That's great. I love that you've found that place. Like you've literally found your place in the world from Dragon Ball. Yeah. Wow. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of speechless about that because that's like you are, <laughs> you're living that dream. You found that dream. You, you saw out that dream. You found it, and and now you're living it. And that's just an amazing thing. And thank goodness I had that pizza party, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's so many little things that led up to that. It's I played that video game. I saw that cartoon. Um, that one person looked at my email and told me maybe I should look at this. Um, I wrote that one article. I made that one trip. Life is weird, isn't it? It is. It, it's weird and wonderful. And uh, don't, you know, when, when oppor- look for opportunities, check your, your spam box, check, spam <laughs> check the spam box of life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good lesson to leave it on. Greg, thank you so much. Again, I'm embarrassed that I've been doing the podcast for 10 years and we've never had this conversation, but maybe this is the best time to have that conversation because we can look back at, um like we just did, all those things that led us to these very moments right here. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, great, great to talk with you about this and uh, really great memories. Oh man, thank you to Chris. Thank you to Greg. It has been a pleasure having them here on our 400th episode of Kanzen Shu. I'm excited to continue onward from here. We have so much good stuff coming down the pipeline. I mean, of course, right now, Dragon Ball Super is the gigantic thing going on. We'll continue to keep up on that. But we have so many of, like Chris and I were talking about earlier in uh, the episode at the beginning there, uh, topics like Majin. We can do that at any time. And we have so many other things like that not just about language but about so many little aspects of the show that believe it or not do warrant a 30 to 45 minute conversation we have so many of those what i want to do right now before we wrap up the episode is actually go back to that majin conversation i wanted to read a couple of the comments we got on our forum in response to that podcast episode because it's a great look at international translations here the big question what do you do with majin we talked about it in english what about some other languages so puto said for the record the spanish translation of the manga the one from spain no idea how the latin american spanish translation did anything used monstro boo which directly translates to monster boo and the galatian dub went with magico boo literally boo the magician very interesting there and then one more thing adamant said uh, as a side note i got curious and checked how the danish manga had translated maju remember uh yakon was not called majin yakon he was maju yakon uh and saw they had gone with hell beast that is now my favorite translation of the term i do like that uh instead of my Majin, Maju, Hellbeast. So maybe we got my man Vegeta and Hellbeast Yakon. I think those are going to be the Konzenshu approved English language translations for those phrases. So thanks to everyone for everything. Um, all the comments we get week in, week out on the show. Uh, like Chris and I were talking about, the very, very dedicated audience we do have here at the website and the podcast. Uh, you folks are the best. You've been here for so long. And even if you haven't been here for so long, you tend to stick around for a very long time and that means a lot to me it means a lot to heath it means a lot to jake it means a lot to julian uh all four of us really just 
incredibly so much unbelievably love what we do here at the site um, and we love sharing it with everyone uh, on a daily basis really so at this point you know what to expect from us let's just charge forward this was 400 um, we're done dwelling on 400 it's time for 401 so we'll see you next time here at the show for episode 401 of our podcast www.kanzenshuu.com that is Khan Zen Shu. I got nothing else. I've been Mike Fujito EX. It has been a pleasure. We'll see you next time. 